Welcome to Risking Enchantment, a podcast about art, beauty, and the Catholic faith. Hosted by Rachel Sherlock. Hello and welcome to Risking Enchantment. For this week's episode, you've got myself, Rachel Sherlock, and joining me once again is Phoebe Watson. Hello! And we are starting this episode, we're actually recording on a weeknight, which is kind of unusual for us. You can you can tell my scheduling has gone a little awry. So if we're a little bit erratic, just bear with us. Well, I was going to say that it's more that we're recording this in the dark, essentially, because um, our flat is not particularly well lit. But we've got our autumnal cups of tea. Mm-hmm. We've just had some lovely gingerbread. We've got our autumn mugs out. It's just, we're recording this at the very end of September, I think, yes, because it'll be coming out this week. Yep. It's Michaelmas on Thursday. Yeah, so we are undeniably in autumn at this stage. I know there's a lot of pushing seasons earlier and earlier, but I think we can all agree at this stage we are in the middle of autumn. I mean, in Ireland we've been in autumn since the beginning of August. Which is something I really like. I can't remember whether we've brought it up here before, but the Celtic calendar places the high point of the season in the middle of the season. So you mm-hmm. have this gentle crescendo up and this diminuendo down. So it kind of, as opposed to beginning summer with midsummer, yeah, it's more about ramping up and ramping down, which I really like. And they're also much more tied to the actual agricultural seasons of like... Growing, planting, growing, harvesting, yeah, rather than of the actual weather seasons, because in Ireland, the weather can be the same for nine months. Yeah, it can just be rainy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I should have said twelve months, shouldn't I? But yeah, it's a lovely way to do seasons, and seasons, and in particular autumn, is what we're going to be talking about for this episode. So we're not actually rambling. No, believe it or not, it sounds like a rambling start, but we are on topic essentially and we wanted to talk about autumn I think at the very start of 2020 we did an episode called springing into the season which was all about spring um and it's been two years Mm -hmm. and I thought it might be nice to do something about autumn I mean with the rest of the world it seems Phoebe and I love autumn it's a great season it's so pretty it's so beautiful um it's i mean not that we get that warmer summers but i definitely prefer the cooler months to the warmer ones they're definitely more um comfortable for me i mean i'm often sad to see the summer go Mm -hmm. but there is something in the like colors of the trees yeah i think the biggest detriment in in our part of the world is the really early nights Mm. um and that's the the thing that summer gives you is these really long evenings like it can still be bright almost until midnight here during the height of summer but conversely our evenings get darker and darker earlier and earlier (laughs) um and then our mornings too but that comes a lot later yeah but you know, there's so much to enjoy about this season. And I think something that I think we've talked about on this podcast before, but how much we enjoy decorating our flat, bringing out those autumn mugs that I mentioned, having sort of dried leaves and little trinkets. I'm looking at a ceramic squirrel at the moment. <laughs> and also like spending time outside. Yeah. Um, I think we managed to do quite a bit of that last year. Like yeah. We went home to 
my house in the countryside and went blackberry picking. Yeah, we went out um, to Glendalough on the day before Halloween. Oh, yeah. Or was it the day of Halloween? I can't remember. I think it was actually the day of Halloween. It was a lovely time to go. Um, you know, the beautiful ancient mon- monastic site in this beautiful, at that time, autumnal setting. Misty clouds covering the hills. Yeah, it was beautiful. And yeah. so for a portion of this podcast, we will be talking about... All, just all of the wonderful things of autumn and drawing out some literary quotes of ours because of course I feel like that's what everyone wants but I never like to take the easiest option I could have just organized to sit here and ramble about my favorite autumnal books I think you would have felt very self-indulgent which was the problem <laughs> that's the, so I always want to bring in something that is maybe a little self-reflective because like I said I love autumn and in some ways I could just uncritically uh, embrace that about myself and not think any further about it. But I think there is some self-reflecting to go on because as we've kind of hinted at earlier is that there's a kind of cult of autumn or fall that has arisen, I would say, definitely the last 10 years, uh, maybe even like shorter than that. Uh, And it's very much pushed on by social media um which like i said i i enjoy i'm not actually going to complain about this i always think it funny that i you know there's some youtubers that i follow and if they make a a, like a video about best autumn books or like if the keywords of like autumn and cozy are in there it's sure to get like three times the views as any other video Um, And, you know, one of those views will be my own because I do love it. But I do think it's an interesting thing that has developed on social media. And for the most part, when we're talking about social media in this episode, we'll mainly be talking about the more kind of visual platforms. So your Instagrams, Pinterest, Tumblr, if you're on Tumblr, even like I said, YouTube, those those things that are more visual. But um, the topic that we're going to be talking about can be essentially extrapolated out across all kinds of platforms, which is this tendency in ourselves to envy or crave what other people are showing is what their lives look like, or to try and emulate sort of unrealistic standards of lifestyle and aesthetics and all of these things that it's I think it's an interesting balance that a lot of, I suppose, younger people, I don't know that many older people who spend a lot of time on social media, I could be wrong about that, but that balance between the good things that are on social media, the inspiration there is to have, the sense of community, the ways to find things that you really like, versus this question about how much you're letting other people's pictures of their world Um, change your ability to enjoy your own life. Yeah, so this kind of came out of a really good podcast I was listening to from Word on Fire, where they were talking about this idea of mimetic desire and how all of our desires, both good and bad, Mm. come from the desire to imitate, that they're kind of put into us by other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, um, like... They were coming at it very from a point of view of the idea of then if it's a problem for you stepping away from social media. And I think for some people that is something you need to do. Yeah. But I think 
is not a realistic choice for all of us. And there are also ways in which, like you were saying, there's good things that come out of it as well as bad and that stepping out of social media doesn't necessarily free us from the bad either. Yeah, absolutely. And so to just give uh, like anyone listening a kind of general um, blueprint of our conversation for this episode, because I know in some ways it's maybe a slightly unusual take or like the not the obvious choice of what to talk about for autumn of all things i mean it took us a while to figure out the blueprint to begin with yeah so. i know i have multiple google docs where i'm like figuring this out um, but i think we want to talk firstly a little bit about our experiences of social media and actually the benefits that we found because i think very often as you mentioned all of the sort of press about social media is very negative and I think there's a lot of warranted criticism in there but I want to put forward um, the the benefits or like the the good points that I've experienced um, in relation to how I interact with the seasons and I'll explain that a little bit deeper in a minute but then of course we'll look at the other side at the more um, complex or difficult or um, nuanced perspective on social media and the negative effects it can have and the trouble we have with this mimetic desire to live out somebody else's presentation of their lives even if that's not the reality of their lives Um, and then at the end we're just going to come in with some of our our favorite autumn quotes and things like that to leave you on a high with I'm sure the autumn content that you're you're really looking for here is it rather just to make sure everybody has to listen to us talk through (laughs) no skipping (laughs) no skipping you have to you have to reflect first and then enjoy the the fruits of your reflection (laughs) (laughs) so I think the first thing is to say that I certainly don't assume that everyone listening to this will interact with the seasons in the way that I do or that Phoebe does. I will say that within my circle of friends, quite a lot of them do things like this. So I know I'm not the only one. I know it's not unique to me, but I also wouldn't assume it's ubiquitous. And the way that I kind of interact with the seasons is to, in a light way, I don't want anyone thinking too crazy, but for the most part, having decorations out around my flat when I say decorations a lot of it is is I collect postcards or even cards that people have sent me we'll put some of those up depending on the seasons we might have flowers we might have dried flowers um and then when bunting. we get bunting We've got some lovely bunting for different seasons yes or maybe like like tea towels or mugs <laughs> or books to open and displayed I love that trend yeah we have I think they're used for recipe books, but those book stands that you can open books to a certain page. And because we've got these lovely books that have amazing illustrations in them that you can use that as a piece of artwork in your in your home. And then when it comes to the actual like celebrations like birthdays or, or Christmas or even Halloween. And just while we're speaking of Halloween, I think it's important to distinguish that we're actually going to focus more on autumn as yeah as a trend rather than Halloween. Obviously, the two are really linked and I'm not going to pretend that they're separate. But certainly in Ireland, I know Halloween is comes to England later. I know Halloween has been a long established thing in America. There's kind of give and take like the Irish sent Halloween to America and then it kind of came back to us in an Americanized (laughs) version. Um, But Halloween was a thing when I was growing up. There were Halloween decorations, but there certainly wasn't the this kind of idea of 
fall decorations or autumn decorations, which are now all over the shops. Yeah, I think that the Halloween decorations we grew up with, Mm -hmm. you'd have been thought really batty if you were going for like nuts and cute pumpkins rather than like a carved scary pumpkin that's lit, you know? Or or even putting them up in September. Yeah, I mean that too. (laughs) What are you doing? It's mid-October at the earliest. Yes, but yeah, so like at Halloween, we will probably carve some pumpkins. We'll go a little bit more extra. But yeah, like the decoration isn't always like overbearing. It's not like a themed fun house but just it doesn't take over the flat no but just pulling out certain things and similarly looking for recipes to make that are seasonal even then I think I've mentioned before books that are kind of seasonal or films and just looking to take advantage of whatever gifts the season has on offer that's what I mean by kind of living seasonally and Like I said, I don't expect that to be everyone's experience. (laughs) And then the other thing we haven't mentioned there is looking for activities. Mm. I mean, I know we said that earlier, but just to reiterate it, it's also looking for outdoor things that we can do that are seasonally related. It's not just linked to how we present our flat and what we eat here. Absolutely. Um, You know, I mean, I think it's very obvious. I mean, everyone knows you go to the beach during the summer. (laughs) Um, You go to the woods in autumn. Exactly. But, you know, looking for those rituals and in a slightly different way, looking to embrace the liturgical year, which is something we've talked about before, that intertwined into this is a decidedly Catholic perspective. However, I kind of want to make the point that actually this kind of seasonal living, even if it isn't your thing, I think it's worth looking at because I do think it's actually an important part of the human experience. And I think it it does speak to something kind of, you know, eternal about us. And maybe the best way to, to put this is to turn to our friend C.S. Lewis in, of course, the only thing that we seem to try to work into every episode is the screw tape letters. Is it really just the screw tape letters? <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, you know the premise. This is screw tape the demon talking. Uh, yeah, he he's talking. So obviously everything's in the inverse. It's like he's presenting everything that's, that's good as bad and vice versa. And in this particular quote, which Phoebe's going to read out now, um, he's kind of talking about how the devils work on the human need for novelty and how that can be used to draw us away from the good benefits that God has given us in this like eternal desire for the new. The horror of the same old thing is one of the most valuable passions we've produced in the human heart. An endless source of heresies in religion, folly in counsel, infidelity in marriage, and inconstancy in friendship. The humans live in time and experience reality successively. To experience much of it, therefore, they must experience many different things. In other words, they must experience change. And since they need change, the enemy, being a hedonist at heart, has made change pleasurable to them, just as he has made eating pleasurable. But since he does not wish them to make change any more than eating, an end in itself, he has balanced the love of change in them by a love of permanence. He has contrived to gratify both tastes together in the very world he has made, by that union of change and permanence which we call rhythm. He gives them the seasons, each season different, yet every year the same. 
so that spring is always felt as a novelty, yet always as the recurrence of an immemorial theme. He gives them in his church a spiritual year. They change from a fast to a feast, but it is the same feast as before. Now just as we pick out and exaggerate the pleasure of eating to produce gluttony, so we pick out this natural pleasantness of change and twist it into a demand for absolute novelty. This demand is entirely our workmanship. If we neglect our duty, men will be not only contented but transported by the mixed novelty and familiarity of snowdrops this January, sunrise this morning, plum puddings this Christmas. Children, until we have taught them better, will be perfectly happy with a seasonal round of games in which conquerors succeed hopscotch as regularly as autumn follows summer. Only by our incessant efforts is the demand for the infinite or unrhythmical change kept up. It's a long quote, but I, I do think it's worth pulling out in its entirety because I think it's so well put about the need and at genuine pleasure and even like godly pleasure that we can have in having a simplicity of year that takes the time to acknowledge the graces and the gifts and the particular um, offerings that each season has that like God has crafted the year and clearly he thinks it's a good thing because he's made quite a lot of them at this stage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's really right for us to revel in these changes Mm. and to take the time to enjoy them like that is part of what we are called to do yeah um like, i i think we're partic- our particular perspective as well being in um ireland and kind of living around the the british isles that kind of area um we do get quite different seasons and i know that won't be true of all of our listeners but even then i think people try to to, to emulate the experience of having seasons because there's something so deeply important to us about having an ability to see the change because it's almost like you can't appreciate something until you see it change yeah that even like going back to the example of decorating at flat that you only really appreciate the decorations when you're pulling them out and putting them away again that anything left out too long becomes something that your eye just glosses over. Yeah, and the same with the natural world. Yeah. Um, you know, that I feel like when you're engaged in the season, you're looking for signs of the season. And that actually goes to that mention that we had at the very start of the Celtic calendar, that the thing I really like about it is that instead of it being about, so like we said, actually for us, autumn begins at, uh, in August or August 1st, that instead of saying at August 1st, you, you should be slap bang into the middle of, of feeling autumnal. Um, actually, it's the, it's the opposite. Because if you feel like, well, auto, August would be too early for that. But that's entirely the point. You're supposed to be on the lookout for these little hints and signs. And obviously, this was in the context, like you mentioned, of farming, that you would actually need to be aware of these things to carry out your, your work. But that you're looking for that chill in the air. You're just like, you're hearing the whispers of it, rather than it being the climax on day one. Yeah, the, the black breeze... The first blackberries on the bushes are like the first signs of autumn, like the mm-hmm. harvest being gathered in, the like vegetables in their full flourishing production. Yeah. Like that that flourishing production and gathering in mm. is an essential part 
of the autumn yeah. that you're experiencing. Absolutely. This seasonality is something that gives us a huge amount of richness. And because we used to be more in tune with the season just by the nature of the, the way that, you know, lives work, there were fewer cities, there were fewer jobs that weren't connected to the climate, to the weather, to the time of the year, you know? There was less central heating. Yeah. <laughs> it was harder to stay warm You or, or cold. Yeah. You felt the heat and the chill. Yeah. And so the benefit of social media is that in an age where you can be totally separate from those things, like I think I've mentioned before in this podcast when I first moved to Dublin, I had been so used to living in more rural spaces that it almost took me a while to realise that I wasn't actually getting out into nature very much, that I wasn't seeing the seasons changing because I was just tramping up and down streets with no greenery. I think also because we'd lost our school rhythm. Yeah. Um, because we were both out of college. Yeah. And therefore we had lost the rhythm that the academic year gives us, mm. um, which tells you that like it forces change on you. Yeah. Like you have to start ter- start your college term. You have to finish your studies that term. You get a brief break for Christmas, and then you're right back in it. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of like different structure to our like January to December structure. Mm-hmm. Like those two superimposed on each other, give a more like rhythmic sense to the year. And then when you lose that, and you're just working full time, and you don't get a summer holiday. Yeah. I think that's where it becomes really important to try and build in seasonality to your life in other ways yeah and so in a weird way the fact that when you open your phone if you open instagram there's probably going to be pictures of autumn on it it does actually remind you about what season now there's the whole thing i mean we've talked about it with like advent in particular and christmas and christmas gets early and earlier but now it's now it's butting up against this new burgeoning cult of autumn so then <laughs> now they're clashing it out like if you go to a lot of the department stores at the moment at least around here there will be an autumn slash halloween section right next to the christmas section and it's so jarring <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> but you know and i think you know it's always this balance with social media because if you're presenting content so that people can I don't know, make your recipes or even like create your crafts or your decor or whatever. You have to sell it to them early so that they can have it in time. But the whole thing pulls everything earlier and earlier, which is in a way, I would say almost that screw tape arrhythmical. Like you want it, you want to demand the seasons, which is... Yeah, that's where the like Christmas and Halloween side by side comes in. It's it's not enough that just (laughs) one of them is coming and one of them is like going to be celebrating or decorating. You've got to think about both at the same time (laughs) but like I said I do think it's helpful for me anyway just to enter into that season and also to push you to try new things that you know as much as you shouldn't do things because you want to share them on Instagram there is a sense of like actually taking the time to be like okay well what's on what should I be going to what would be a nice thing to to be doing at this time and also because I think for other people I don't have this so much but there is the thing of like seasonal depression and things like that as we're facing into these darker moments and darker times in the year I think it is good to remind people of the joys that they can draw out of this uh, out of a season that might actually be otherwise kind of hard for them yeah like there is definitely a melancholy to autumn definitely um Katie Marquette on Born of Wonder had a wonderful podcast about the sorrows of autumn and linking it to um, Mary the Sorrowful Mother. Yeah. And that 
yeah, there is this kind of sadness of the year kind of gathering itself to go out with a bang. Mm. But you've also lost, you're like, it's not, we're nine months in, Where, where's the year gone? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's that sense of loss and like things slipping away from you. Yeah. And then as a kind of subset of things that I think are positive about social media, obviously this could relate to things outside of autumn, but I'm going to use that as a, as a springboard. Like we've said, we do have decorations and we do, I do get some clothes and thing, things like that. So this is all that part of social media that's trying to sell you things. And it, as you might expect when we come to our, you know, disadvantages of social media, obviously this is going to be part of this, this like bye, bye, bye culture. But... To make the case for it, I think there's also a positive side to this. I do think that, and I think it's worthwhile talking about in terms of autumn because there is that sense of like drawing into your flat, spending time inside again, having been out for the summer, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And, you know... Retreating into the cosiness from the wind. Yeah, and transitioning your style from a summer style to an autumn style that, you know, it, it kind of it encourages you to think about like the things that are in your home in a way. And like I said, maybe that's maybe a little bit more specific to me than other people, but I think it still stands. Um, And the thing that I found with social media is as much as it is about kind of selling you things and selling you an idea and like you see somebody's home and you want to emulate it or whatever it is, I do think that there's a really beautiful thing in it because it's also encouraged me to do things like find small businesses and craftspeople and to focus on buying things from companies that I feel are ethically responsible that also you know have a closer sense of what my style is like I think I, I I'm kind of conscious of it at the moment I've bought two dresses from a company called Daydress recently and they were expensive. They were absolutely expensive, but they are ethically made. They are ethically sourced. They're beautiful. They match up to a lot of my ideals of consuming. And I have two unbelievably beautiful dresses out of it. Yeah, they're hand printed. They're properly made with quality and care. Yeah. Um, this is a company called Daydress, just to give them a shout out. They are gorgeous I really recommend them and then also it was my birthday in August and I received lots of really wonderful presents from my amazing friends but there was a set of presents that I got that were from my friends in the UK and they were all from small artists and businesses and they just give me so much joy I'm literally looking at I've got the two (laughs) candlesticks in front of me as we speak and they're so beautiful and they give me so much more joy than whatever was on the high street could ever possibly give me. And I think the other element of this is that when all you're doing is looking on the high street, you mightn't ever think to question what is it that you really like and what actually gives you joy and what actually gives you kind of wonder even in in God's creation that like your home could be filled with these beautiful things. And I think we've talked enough about beauty on this podcast to kind of advocate that while we don't want to slip into commercialism or even vanity that creating beautiful spaces is a worthwhile thing to do 
and that when you can explore things on social media, it can be inspirational and they can, even down to the silly thing of the internet's ridiculous ability to give everything a label down to like the most nth degree. And while I kind of roll my eyes at that that tendency, it is really helpful when you need a search term and you want to find out exactly what kind of cottage dress that you want to get or whatever it is, you know? Yeah, and I think there is something in a way freeing about being able to find the stuff that you actually like because mm. you like it. Yeah. Um, and even though it's maybe surrounded by a bit of a bombardment of like curated pictures, it is still at least the taste that you're looking for. And like every taste is going to be different. Mm. But to be free to look at like other small creators' tastes rather than whatever the high street shoves at you. Yeah. Because this like this isn't a new problem with social media. Mm. Um the, like <laughs> the world, even if you lose all of your social media passwords, the world is still trying to sell you things. Yeah, and maybe you can escape it a little bit more, but maybe you have less defenses against it. And also maybe you have less ability to to actually engage with beauty on your terms that like I think because we're doing a few things of decorating the flat at the moment and I I have been thinking about how if I was just dealing with whatever was on the high street that they're selling me I think I would feel I, I, I would probably settle for something but I wouldn't it wouldn't make me joyful in the same way or I wouldn't have the confidence to try and pursue what is really to my taste because the stuff that gets through social media into mainstream culture is so filtered down to what the maximum amount of people will like. And so in suiting everybody, it suits nobody. You know, that kind of way. <laughs> yeah, you find like one thing you like mm. rather than 10 things you like. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that kind of having a vision in your head of what you're actually looking for that then allows you to look for it and not settle for second best. I think that's, well, that's... I mean, you had, like, sometimes you have to settle for second best, but or not yeah. settle for fourth best. <laughs> but I think in some ways that's where, actually, for myself, I feel like as much as I, it can lead into a danger of consumerism for myself, there is also the element of feeling like when I know what I really like, I will save up for it, even when it's more expensive, and I won't buy I actually will restrain from buying lots of things that I feel like, oh, well, why would I buy all of this stuff that's cheaper and maybe like on Amazon or on the high street or something like that when I know the thing I really want is more expensive, so I'm going to have to save up to get it. And so in some ways, it's actually forcing me to think about my consumer choices more. But with everything, there is always a flip side. And I think maybe... Given that we've given so many wonderful positives about it, it is now time to dive into d the deep, murky waters of the disadvantages of social media. Yep. And I think maybe it would be good to come back to that podcast that you mentioned, Phoebe. So the podcast was an interview with Luke Burgess, who wrote a book called Wanting, which was a essentially kind of a summarization and a representation to the contemporary world of René Girard's theory of mimetic desire, which is what you mentioned. Yeah, so like I said, he talks about how it can be a good thing, like causing you to emulate the saints and strive for holiness, or a bad thing, like 
causing envy and they can play out in a big way but more often in a very small way that still eats away at our souls Mm, yeah yeah and that social media in a weird way is almost like an engine for mimetic desire because i think he makes the point of like it used to be keeping up with the joneses like it would literally be the people on your street or the parents in your school you know but now now we have a window into the entire world and there's all these people who make money (laughs) by presenting perfect lives and it is engineered to cause you to have this sense of first of all envy so on some level you're wishing you had what someone else had dissatisfaction with what you have and then even we can see it in some ways with the the lashing out and the victimization of other people because it's that desire to bring someone down if they're getting ahead of you. Yeah, and I think one of the points he made um, in why it's a particular problem for social media was the idea of that kind of flattening of people's lives, that the what is getting presented to you on somebody's profile mm. is very similar to everybody else's profile, mm. um, and you're not seeing a unique person. Mm. And everyone's then trying to strive to to stand out mm. and then to extrapolate on from that you also you're only seeing the curated bits of their life that they choose to show you mm. and not any more of the hints of the mess that you would get if you were living beside your neighbors yeah you know absolutely and so there's that's i think it's really interesting what you said there because there's almost a tension between you want what everyone else has so you yeah. want the full package but you also want to be unique. Mm-hmm. So you want to stand out from them as well. Yeah. So it's not even just good enough to have everything. You also have to be unique as yeah. well. <laughs> so like the impossible challenge, which is why they succeed so well. Yeah. And I think, you know, as much as we enjoy all of these seasonal things, there is a, a temptation to put pressure on yourself to, to feel frustrated. And I think the interesting thing about it in terms of autumn is that so much of it is so wildly outside of our control. Like, <laughs> like do you, you probably don't live in New England with the amazing fall colours. Like, we get fall colours, but it's not like, you know, that blast of red and yellow that you see on those, like, New England pictures. Um, or it could be that, you know... <laughs> There's a terrible storm early in the season and it takes away all of your nice leaves and then you try to go out for a walk and it's maybe September but it looks like November and it's all pretty bleak out there, you know. It's like the way that you can never get it to snow on Christmas if you wanted it to. It's just that that sense of like wanting to curate the perfect experience of a season which is such a strange thing to do because like a season is God's providence. You don't have control over it. Yeah, like this year in Ireland, we went from like pretty decent weather to like pretty miserable weather in a very quick swing. Mm. And normally we have like a few weeks of like gentle lead into that, that you get this like glorious September. And this is just like, nope, in you go. <laughs> um, so I think there's something even in that of like every year is going to be different. Mm. Um, and you can't rely on the way they're doing what you want it to do. And yeah. you just have to surrender it to God's providence. Yeah, and look for the actual gifts that are in that season. And so there can be gifts that you can generally say 
are you know kind of ubiquitous across the seasons like we're saying for ourselves that the long evenings in summer is like a real gift it's a particular time that you can use that you can enjoy but there are more more of them are things that are actually just specific to that particular autumn or that particular spring and you shouldn't let an image of something um betray your ability to enjoy the autumn that's in front of you you know (laughs) which is also i think where we need to be a little bit careful with like the whole idea of like decorating our homes and celebrating it that we're not falling into the trap of just trying to control the season by making it happen in our controlled space yeah and not also experiencing it where it's happening and i think also that trap of pics or it didn't happen that like you mm-hmm. can you can still enjoy a walk that has some of the glory of nature in it even if it's not particularly photogenic or you know maybe your phone battery is low and you can't spend the whole time taking photos I don't know I yeah o- or even that we should also be able to detach ourselves enough from that to at least occasionally enjoy it without doing that yeah can you enjoy it if you can't take a photo of it I always think it's really um funny as I've actually mentioned earlier in this uh, podcast Our flat is a wonderful space and we love it very much, but it has terrible lighting. Uh, So much so that usually when, especially at this time of year, people come in and be like, oh, will I turn on the lights? And we have to go, they are on. (laughs) Which means that any photo that you want to take in the evening is essentially just like a hopeless task. There is no point. Just don't do it. And, you know, I've been making some soups recently and... They have been delicious. They have been delicious. They have been, for the most part, singularly unphotogenic. (laughs) And not only that, but we eat them in the evenings when they cannot be taken. (laughs) Like, I'm I'm so proud of this amazing soup that I've made. And And you can't Instagram it. Yeah, you just have to give up. Um, and the ability to let go of the need to present it back to the world mm-hmm. because there's the, there's the consuming of it and then there's the presenting it back to the world and knowing that like enjoying the gifts of the season is not about your ability to share it and even to make other people envious of you. Yeah, and then that all really just ties in with that commercialization of it mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, like that sense of being handed it in a package, you lose a lot of the creativity of it, which is like part of the joy that you're being, we're being called to in this celebration of the season is the particular creativity that goes with that. Yeah. Like, I don't know, I, the creation of Blackbird Jam. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I don't, I think we've, we always try to caveat this. Like we have, we have stuff for our autumn decorations that we've bought from high streets. I'm Mm -hmm. not, I'm not challenging that, but there is much, most of our autumn decorations is bought, not made. Yeah, absolutely. But the thing I would say is that there is something, I don't know, that doesn't sit quite right to me. Like I said, that wall of autumn leaf decorations right next to the Christmas stuff that's already playing Christmas music. Like the like the buy, buy, buy mentality that is so prevalent on social media, like the, you know, the clothing hauls, the book hauls, that like it, there is this sense that there's such an emphasis on quantity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not that I would have a position to say that I know I know exactly how many autumn decorations you should or shouldn't buy. Um, 
or or I mean, what most people probably classify that we have too many um <laughs> yes i would say so but this can and this can be extrapolated to all kinds of yeah. of consuming that you the thing that you go onto social media that results in you buying stuff you know it's all of this package but it, there is a sense in which it's almost like that this rhythm that the screw tape letters are talking about it's almost like the demons have found the way to pull out something bad out of something good so you know the way they they said gluttony out of the good desire for food that like there is this gluttonous or maybe this kind of overbearing curated over commercialized focus on quantity all of these things with saying you have to have this magazine spread worthy experience of a season which is so nebulous and so like undefined and also kind of going back to that screw tape idea as well of um the novelty factor mm. like what you think about book hauls and clothes hauls yeah. that it's not enough to pull out of your wardrobe your winter wardrobe from la- like your winter yeah. clothes from last year yeah and to pull out of the cupboard the autumn decorations that it's still that idea of acquiring more and never having enough mm, yeah absolutely and that you know i think god is always calling us to encounter both him and our communities and so you know that the thing that is so precious about it that actually encountering the gift in front of you is dismissed because it doesn't fit with what you're trying to do whatever it is you're trying to achieve with this time you know yeah definitely and I think like there is also obviously there can be a lot of pressure to make stuff for the season but there is also like a lot of beautiful crafts that can be done for the season Mm. and that there is a sense that we're maybe called to return to the rituals of those doing things um, especially when they're with people yeah, yeah. exactly the, yeah, the way they, those can bring people together mm. to do stuff yeah. rather than just have our own like perfect world yeah I think I probably saw it on social media so take this with a pinch of salt but I always love the image of like and this would be more August than full autumn but you know the, the harvesting of the tomato harvest in with Italian families to make their their jars of tomatoes for the year and it's like an industrial level thing so it takes a lot of people they're like boiling down all of these tomatoes and sieving them and you know canning them that this was something that was part of our lives and I think the rituals are important even when we don't have access to the kind of historical thing that they were pulling from but that we should recognise that essentially in a lot of ways what we end up having in our modern age is a hollowed out, a commercialised, a repackaged version of something. And I think even the fact that there's this emphasis on fall is almost kind of telling because it's this essentially non-religious, secular version of having rituals that, like I said, I enjoy very much. But in some ways, I I almost feel like I can enjoy it more because I know I have this underlying real ritual of faith and, you know, the masses and the liturgical year and the things to invest in. But that, yeah, that so much of this kind of fall content is almost like generating a liturgical year for people who 
don't want to engage with the idea of like a like an actual liturgical year. Yeah, like in some ways, a lot of the fall decor yeah. really reminds me of the harvest festivals we had in our church growing up, mm. where people would bring the fruits of the harvest. And at this point, like some of the stuff was bought. <laughs> Let's be honest, it wasn't just what people had grown in their fields, but it would also be what people had grown. And the whole church was decorated with the fruits of the harvest and like hay bales outside. And mm. it was a focus on giving thanks to God for what he had provided. Yeah. And like the aesthetic of that is very much what we see on social media now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, you know, just. I think it's just a question of trying to strike that balance. And in some ways, I think autumn is an interesting prism in which to view this from, because I do actually think there's something in the season that draws out a sense of longing and has a sense of almost restlessness or dissatisfaction with your your current lifestyle, because you're usually moving from like the summer into the like school year, like you mentioned, or you know, you're having this change and it is a time of change that can leave you restless. Like you said, you're, you're kind of facing into the rest of the year that's kind of darker. You've got long months ahead of you until summer comes again. It's an interesting, as it happens, it's almost kind of the perfect time to have this sort of mimetic desire to draw you on to another to somebody else's world or to to a better version of your life Um, and so much so that like I think Phoebe was the one who pulled this out but it's so great you can actually see a kind of version of this in the wind in the willows yeah so there's this chapter um called wayfarers all if you haven't read the wind in the willows go back and listen to our episode on the wind in the willows Mm -hmm. um and then read the wind in the willows or we know that first um but it's this chapter where Ratty is essentially dealing with all of the animals leaving mm. and like the mice are packing up for leaving their summer homes and hurry, scurrying off to their winter apartments. And he's kind of like, why are you going so early? And he's just kind of in... He's clinging to summer. Yeah, he's clinging to summer and in this kind of restless position of his life not changing and everybody else's changing around him. Yeah. Which I think is also something what those of us who work full-time get, in that we see other people's lives change mm. and we're still like, and we're still here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's quite a long quote, but um, I'll read some bits out of it. The water rat was restless and he did not know exactly why. To all appearance, the summer's pomp was still at fullest height. And although in the tilled acres green had given way to gold, the rowans were reddening and the woods were dashed here and there with a tawny fierceness, yet light and warmth and colour were still present in undiminished measure, clean of any chilly premonitions of the passing year. Mm, So beautiful. And then like this mood kind of leads him wandering where he meets this sea rat. And the sea rat is telling him of all his like glorious adventures overseas and kind of of his roaming life. Mm. And he's kind of shaking the dust off the 
of the farm that he's been living at for the summer. And, you know, at the start, Ratty is talking to the birds, like the swallows who are all going south. And now this water rat is like, yeah, well, I, I go to the Mediterranean and it's so much warmer and it has all of this kind of thrill of the the exotic, at least in comparison to the world of uh, of the wind in the willows, that this kind of exotic allure and this, yeah, this sense of, you know, difference and change. Yeah. And his kind of tale of that finishes with and you you will come too young brother for the days pass never return and the south still waits for you take the adventure heed the call now ere the irrevocable moment passes tis but a banging of the door behind you a blithesome step forward and you are out of the old life and into the new then some day some day long hence Jog home here, if you will, when the cup has been drained and the play has been played, and sit down by a quiet river with a store of goodly memories for company. You can easily overtake me on the road, for you are young and I am ageing and go softly. I will linger and look back, and at last I will surely see you coming, eager and light-hearted, with all the south in your face. Mm. And there's something like so dreamlike in that. And it says that he kind of goes in a day's home to gather his stuff. He's almost like hypnotized. Yeah, like it's the call and he doesn't have anything like because of the rest that's just stirred in him by the month. He can't fight that call. Ratty, who loves his river. He, he, um, he is the guardian of the river. There is no one who loves the river like he does. Yeah, and... Mole comes home in time to deter him, <laughs> I will say, um, and to kind of like pause him long enough to contemplate what that move might mean. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the chapter is sort of can be read that maybe Ratty should have gone. But for I think for me, I to me, it reads more like that this was that novelty, that that like that quest of novelty to find something new and that there is a sense in which his place is at the river. Yeah, to me it reads like the grass is always greener. Mm. That choosing of something that you would never have chosen in your right mind because you're feeling the itch, Yeah, you know? Um, and it's not that adventuring is wrong for people. Mm. <laughs> um, like, that if... It was a young rat going off exploring. Mm. You can see how that might, like, a different situation, it might be the right choice. But for him, I don't know, it doesn't feel like it to me. So then, yeah, Mole kind of comes in, and it's casually then, and with seeming indifference, the Mole turned his talk to the harvest that was being gathered in, the towering wagons and their straining teams, the growing ricks, and the large moon rising over the bare acres dotted with sheaves. He talked of the reddening apples around, of the browning nuts, of jams and preserves, and the distilling of cordials, till by easy stages such as these he reached midwinter, its hearty joys and its snug home, then he became simply lyrical. Um, and, yeah, oh, it's so beautiful. And then he kind of, he leaves Rat to, like, write his poetry mm-hmm. um, and kind of feast in that creativity instead. Yeah. And there's something in that 
homeliness of the autumn yeah. and the remembering of the joys of it yeah. that brings him out of that kind of wrong restlessness. Mm. And, and leads him to see the gifts that are before mm-hmm. him in, in the coming season. As much as he's sad that summer is over, that like there, there are gifts on the way in the form of autumn and even midwinter, you know, that there, there are things to love and appreciate about what he's been being given and I do love that it ends with that kind of burst of creativity because I do think that's also something to do with autumn and I think at this stage we are kind of moving into our last part of the podcast which is essentially us indulging in our favorite autumnal quotes and our favorite things of the season so hopefully you (laughs) you will appreciate this Um, but to me it there is something about the autumnal season that does inspire creativity. I think maybe it's the combination of that slightly more productive mentality that, you know, with the going back to school and the sense of a fresh start at this late stage in the year. Yeah, and I think also that kind of agricultural heritage Mm. of needing to gather in for the winter yeah that you're not yet curled up by the fireside yeah you're chopping the wood for the fire yeah that it's the sense of preparing for midwinter yeah i think autumn has that really interesting kind of combination of retreating in and going out at the same Mm -hmm. time like you said it's not time to shut the doors and button down the hatches it is time to be outside so that you are prepared for the time in which you can't go outside. And I also think that some of the creativity comes from just the splendor of autumn. Like it is a particularly striking season, especially in these kind of climates. Um, And I have a lovely quote here from Persuasion, which kind of touches on this, where um, Anne Elliot is taking a walk and maybe doesn't have great company. So uh, the, the book says... Her pleasure in the walk must arise from the exercise and the day, from the view of the last smiles of the year upon the tawny leaves and withered hedges, and from repeating to herself some few of the thousand poetical descriptions extant of autumn, that season of peculiar and inexhaustible influence on the mind of taste and tenderness, that season which had drawn from every poet worthy of being read some attempt at description or some lines of feeling. It's so lovely. It I is. love Anne Elliot. She's wonderful. And then maybe we can go from one Anne to another. Naturally. Because I think that that quote about talking about the splendours of the season there is such a richness in observing nature and also in reading people's descriptions of nature Mm -hmm. and Anne of Green Gables has some amazing descriptions I've been working my way through them I haven't read them all yet Mm -hmm. but I do think Lucy Maud Montgomery who wrote them is essentially a nature writer disguised as a fiction writer Yeah. I mean, the very first line of Anne of Green Gables, if I remember, is like the world's longest sentence, which goes on and on and on about the source of a river that then passes by Rachel Lynn's house. <laughs> but in the- You know, she also has a novel that includes a nature writer. Really? Yeah. I'm not surprised. It's the Blue Castle. <laughs> okay. She, like, I, I love her stories and I love her characters. I'm not... I'm not slighting them in any way, but I think at her heart where the real like 
where the novels really excel is in this natural landscape that they're set in, that they just wouldn't be the same if they were described more simply or that if it wasn't paid any attention to. So I've got one for... Uh, I've got a quote each for September, October and November. (laughs) So this is from Anna Green Gables. It says, It was September evening and all the gaps and clearings in the woods were brimmed up with ruby sunset light. Here and there, the lane was splashed with it. But for the most part, it was already quite shadowy between the maples and the spaces under the firs were filled with a clear violet dusk like airy wine. And then, of course, the most famous one is the October line. It says, October was a beautiful month at Green Gables when the birches in the hollow turned as golden as sunshine and the maples behind the orchard were royal crimson and the wild cherry trees along the lane put on the loveliest shades of dark red and bronzy green. And she goes on to say, I'm so glad I live in a world where there are Octobers. I know it's now cliche, but I do love that line. It is wonderful. And then even like the melancholy of November, which if you've been paying attention, according to our Celtic calendar is actually the first month of uh, of winter. And you cannot change this so much so that in Irish, the names of the months, September and October are man for and dera for, which means middle of autumn, end of autumn. <laughs> Tough luck, you've ended autumn. <laughs> but for the November quote I've got, it was November, the month of crimson sunsets, parting birds, deep sad hymns of the sea, passionate wind songs in the pines. Anne roamed through the pineland alleys in the park and, as she said, let that great sweeping wind blow the fogs out of her soul. Which is so lovely. And I love that, as we've mentioned, there is this kind of appropriate melancholy to the season. Mm-hmm. I think I, I have to pull out my favourite autumn quote, which is from T.S. Eliot. I think I might have mentioned it before, but it's from Murder in the Cathedral, which is, then golden October declined into sombre November and the apples were gathered and stored and the land became brown sharp points of death in a waste of water and mud. There's that duality of the golden October and the sombre November. And then we have Tolkien telling us about um, the more like adventurous, restless spirit of mm. the autumn. Um, which, and I mean, you hold that all Lord of the Rings books are autumnal reads, which I mean, is probably true. I do think like of all of them, The Fellowship of the Ring is the most autumnal. I think the other two are aut- autumnal because The Fellowship of the Ring is so autumnal that you have to read it in the <laughs> autumn. And then once you start, you have to continue on. <laughs> Um, But yeah, and I think you're just going to read out this quote, but Mm -hmm. it's about restlessness. But I think that really ties in with that kind of sense of melancholy as well. The restlessness is a result of the melancholy Mm. um, and the result of that kind of contrast and decline. Yeah. Yeah. He found himself wondering at times, especially in the autumn, about the wild lands and strange visions of the mountains that he had never seen came into his dreams. He began to say to himself, Perhaps I shall cross the river myself one day. To which the other half of his mind always replied, Not yet. There's that balance between the beautiful gift. Again, we have this this question. Is it good to go on the adventure? Should we heed the calling? Or should we receive the gifts of the place that we're at? It is this Mm -hmm. kind of 
tension that is in the in the season of autumn that's just wonderful to explore and I love that I found a quote from one of his letters that like puts almost the exact same words into his own mouth you know not just the mouths of his characters where he says but I have the autumn wanderlust upon me and would fain be off with a knapsack on my back and no particular destination other than a series of quiet inns (laughs) and I think something that we also talked about a little bit is this almost kind of enchantedness to the season which is very suitable for a podcast called risking enchantment Mm. (laughs) yes um but that in the drawing in of the shadows in the rising of the mists in the declining nature of the land the changes there is that like hint of magic about it that that it almost hints at more kind of like and at the and that's where as we said we're putting Halloween to one side, but there is that sense of the thinning between this world and the next. Yeah, almost like that the leaves on the trees are a barrier mm. that are being lost, and that the glare of the summer sun might be too bright for any you know fairy or any for kind the fae folk. Yeah, to to pop yeah. their heads out of. Yeah, that there is just this. And I think that's why so many kind of um, fantasy novels have this kind of autumnal air to them, because it is both the season of adventure and and a season that hints at 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 the beyond. Yeah, and I think even from like a more practical point of view, like the dancing of autumn sunlight through the leaves is much easier to like see things and imagine things mm-hmm. than in the summer, perhaps. Yeah, but then as much as the season, like I said, is about going outwards, it's mm-hmm. also about retreating in that like that sense of sitting by the fire, that sense of dark evenings and cosy nights. And I thought maybe it actually returned to Lucy Maud Montgomery for the second of the Anne books, Anne of Avonlea, where they've been gotten lost and tramping in the woods for miles and miles and they finally find you know, the last homely house to make a Lord of the Rings <laughs> reference. It's called Echo Lodge. <laughs> but it says that they, they arrive at this little house kind of seeking refuge. And it says the room had a low ceiling and two square small paned windows curtained with muslin frills. All the furnishings were old fashioned, but so well and daintily kept that the effect was delicious but it must be candidly admitted that the most attractive feature to two healthy girls who had just tramped four miles through autumn air was a table set out with pale blue china and laden with delicacies, while little gold-hued ferns scattered over the cloth gave it what Anne would have termed a festal air. So we've got it all there. We've got the, the autumn air, the tramping outside. We've got the retreat inside to the delicacies and the, the lovely foods. And also even the decorations and the festal air. Exactly. Um, I think we've got a quote from Danny the Champion of the World as well. Of his like retreat into the caravan for the autumn. Immediately behind the caravan was an old apple tree. It bore lovely apples that ripened in the middle of September and you could go on picking them for the next four or five weeks. Some of the boughs of the tree hung right over the caravan and when the wind blew the apples down in the night they often landed on our roof. I would hear them going thump, thump, thump above my head as I lay in my bunk but those noises never frightened me because I knew exactly what was making them. I really loved living in that gypsy caravan. 
I loved it especially in the evenings, when I was tucked up in my bunk and my father was telling me stories. The paraffin lamp was turned low, and I could see lumps of wood glowing red hot in the old stove, and wonderful it was to be lying there, snug and warm in my bunk in that little room. Most wonderful of all was the feeling that when I went to sleep, my father would still be there, very close to me, sitting in his chair by the fire, or lying in the bunk above my own. Mm, so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And there is that sense that with the, the turning of the season, as much as it's great to be outdoors, and as much as we actually get quite a lot of great weather in autumn, mm-hmm. that the indoors is so much more inviting when you've been outside in that 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 weather like you yeah. know in the summer you, you might be retreating in from the heat and trying to get cool but it doesn't have that same kind of appeal to it which is the coming in from the cold yeah I mean in the summer you really want to be outside mm-hmm. and you only go out, out inside out of necessity yeah you know and of course we don't live in a climate that's extremely hot no. where <laughs> we can't complain really <laughs> but yeah that like that lovely sense of sitting by the fire is such a beautiful thing mm-hmm. like being curled up under the blankets yeah yeah I think another one that kind of captures that sense of the weather outside being really uninviting and that therefore call to reflect and to think more deeply about things comes from the start of this George MacDonald novel called Thomas Wingfold Curate and the start of it is kind of focused on this girl called Helen Lingard and her call to go deeper into life than like the superficial society life that she's living. A swift grey November wind had taken every chimney of the house for an organ pipe and was roaring in them all at once, quelling the more distant and varied noises of the woods which moaned and surged like a sea. Helen Lingard had not been out all day. The morning indeed had been fine, but she had put off her walk in the neighbouring park until after luncheon, and in the meantime the wind had risen and brought with it a haze that threatened rain. She was in admirable health, yet as she stood looking from her window, out upon the old-fashioned garden and meadows beyond, where each lonely tree bowed with drifting garments, she did not feel inclined to go out. She turned away from the window with the sense rather than the conviction that the fireside in her own room was rendered even more attractive by the unfriendly aspect of things outside and the roar in the chimney. She had just finished the novel of the day and was suffering a mild reaction, the milder perhaps because she was not altogether satisfied with the consummation. Indeed, her dissatisfaction went so far that, although the fire kept burning away in perfect content before her, enhanced by the bellowing complaint of the wind in the chimney, she yet came nearer thinking than she ever had been in her life. The cause of her so nearly touching the borders of thought this afternoon was that she became suddenly aware of feeling bored. Being somewhat bored then, and dimly aware that to be bored was to be out of harmony with something or other, Helen was on the verge of thinking, but escaped the snare in the very direct and simple fashion. She went fast asleep and never woke till her maid brought her a cup of tea before dinner. <laughs> I, like, I do love that contrast of the call to actually think and reflect on life mm-hmm. um, and yet like that sleepy, som- that somberance that 
it saves her from that dreaded fate. Yeah. Um, I will admit that I cut that down considerably. Yeah. <laughs> um, I tried to read the quote out to Rachel earlier, and it was just like pages because George MacDonald is great, mm-hmm. but he can be quite wordy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's something in that like chill outside that calls us to actually engage with the deeper questions of life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And I think we have one last quote, which is just kind of bringing us back around to the nature thing, although this time it's poetry. As Jane Austen suggested, there's lots of great poetry. I'm currently reading a collection of poems called The Hawk in the Rain by Ted Hughes, which is really lovely and has quite autumnal and wintry things. But for this particular one, I've pulled out a poem by Edward Thomas called October, which is which says... The green elm with the one great bough of gold lets leaves into the grass slip one by one. The short hill grass, the mushrooms small, milk white, harebell and scabious and tormentil, that blackberry and gorse in dew and sun bow down to, and the wind travels too light to shake the fallen birch leaves from the fern. The gossamers wander at their own will. Oh, it's lovely. And with that, I think we will close off our discussion for this episode. We hope you're having a wonderful autumn. We haven't done what are you enjoying at the moment? I'm just getting to it. Don't worry. (laughs) I haven't forgotten. I mean, I did think that maybe we'd spent so much time talking about things that we were enjoying that we were (laughs) going to be in trouble. But But, like I was saying, I just want to wish everyone a very happy autumn Mm -hmm. and, you know, Continue in that everlasting quest to strike the balance between enjoying the season and putting too much pressure on yourself. <laughs> um, Take the good parts of a mimetic desire only. <laughs> exactly. And yes, as you suggested, Phoebe, it's also time to share what we've been enjoying at the moment. So I was recently at the solemn profession of a friend who is a Benedictine nun and there's just like really beautiful Latin chant in that. And in some ways it feels fitting to mention on an autumn episode <laughs> that kind of medley of the sorrow of what she's doing and the joy of what she's doing, mm. you know? Yeah. Of like that renunciation of the world and yet the joy of her calling. So that was really beautiful. And I've also, we've already put a lot of um, Lucy Maud Montgomery, but I've been reading more of her. And I'm reading a book called A Tangled Web at the moment, which I'm really enjoying. I think It's also very autumnal. <laughs> Excellent. Even better. So I think the thing that I'm going to mention that I've been enjoying at the moment is I went to the cinema to see a new movie, which I haven't done in a while. We, I have seen actually some old movies in the cinema. But the new movie that I saw was See How They Run which I thoroughly enjoyed. I really loved. It's a murder mystery set around the production of Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap in, I would guess, I think it was the 1940s, 1950s. It is beautifully done. The sets are so glamorous. The costumes are perfect. 
and it's very funny. It's quite lighthearted. If you haven't been to see The Mousetrap, the famous theatre show of Agatha Christie's, don't worry. It doesn't actually spoil The Mousetrap. It kind of winks and nods at a few bits of it, but it doesn't actually spoil it. So feel free to see it, even if you haven't seen The Mousetrap. Although I would also recommend The the Mousetrap. I was lucky enough to go to that this summer. But I loved it. It was exactly the kind of glamorous and it was uh, able to be kind of beautiful, but without being sort of dark in any way. It was just, to me anyway, obviously it was a a murder mystery, but it was very (laughs) uplifting and joyful. It kind of reminded me of those golden era Hollywood movies that we were talking about Mm. just at the start of the summer. I really enjoyed it. I think it's in cinema still. So if you are interested, do check it out. And other than that, I just want to say thank you all for listening. We've had some wonderful feedback on the last episode of the podcast. And so thank you very much for that. And just generally, thank you very much for listening. Uh, You can find us on uh, Instagram at the handle at Risking Enchantment Podcast. I'm on Twitter as well at the handle at Seeking Watson. And you can also sign up to our newsletter where where you'll get an email notification whenever we have a new episode. Um, and I think that's it for this episode. We're still working out the schedule for the next one. So if there is a slight hiccup in that, I do apologize, but I am excitingly recording episodes with some other creators as well, which will be popping up on their feeds. So I will also direct you to those in due time. But other than that, uh, have a wonderful autumn and goodbye. Goodbye. This has been Risking Enchantment. Music by Kevin MacLeod. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter with the handle at SeekingWatson. And you can find out more about me and the podcast at rachelsherlock.com. Thank you and God bless.